0: Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And today we've got a special episode of the podcast. We're taking a break from current events uh, to talk about the life of one of the great veterans in U.S. history, General Ulysses S. Grant. And joining me for this uh, reflection is Matt Emerson. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Billy. Good to be back. Matt is an author, uh, lawyer, and uh, educator. He joined the podcast uh, before... Uh, Last Easter, for reflection on faith and culture, his book is Why Faith? A Journey of Discovery. Yes. Get that on Amazon. You can. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You can discover it
1: on Amazon. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And we're back uh, together today because we both read uh, the biography of Grant by biographer Ron Chernow, uh, who's a famous biographer. He's written... uh, most famous book probably is on Hamilton, yeah, which in
1: fact, I just got that for my birthday. So that's, <laughs> that's that might in, be next. Yeah, it might be next. <laughs> but uh,
0: which was the inspiration for the famous musical? So Matt, after first question, after reading this biography, what changed in your perception about Ulysses S. Grant uh, before versus after? Uh,
1: if I had to boil it down, maybe uh, one way to say it is he he went from somebody who I knew to be significant. Uh, to U.S. history and to the Civil War era to, after reading this book, to somebody who was a great, greatness, uh, you know, surrounding him and his life and presidency. The the role that he played as, you know, documented by Chernow is is not just significant. I mean, it is, it is deeply instrumental and essential in understanding the U.S. history. So I, I think that is one big thing. I I knew very little about Grant. You know, I, I knew a bunch about Abraham Lincoln, like a lot of us do, yeah. but I didn't know much about
0: Grant. Yeah, that was my one of my biggest takeaways, too, is this uh, this part of the Reconstruction era after the Civil War uh, is not hit as hard in, in schools, even as a U.S. history teacher. Um, yeah, this book brought a lot of, of new information to me just about his life, uh, his influence on U.S. history and uh, just the how tumultuous a time period the the Reconstruction sure. was after the Civil War. So let's kind of take us through started a lot of lot of interesting themes, a lot of uh, um, probably things our listeners might not know about Grant. So let's we'll go through sort of the the progression of the book, starting with his uh, upbringing, which was interesting to me. He was not an all star student, wasn't. Uh, precocious at all uh, his dad was kind of overbearing and got into west point but was not a star student there either kind of listless failed at business uh what stood out to you about his how his upbringing story how did he get from being sort of a sort of a no one that kind of got into west point just by chance for having an overbearing father uh to becoming one of the greatest figures in u.s history
1: well i think uh I think that's one of the great mysteries that um in, in any life of of such historical significance what what did it what you know what was the balance between internal motivation and then people you had helping you along the way um i do think though that like at west point you know one of the things that they commented on was his horsemanship you know turnout talks about how he just seemed to have such a natural skill and ability there and kind of prefiguring i think the kind of skill and mindset that that would be so successful uh in battle um but uh, you know he 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 had a in terms of his later life and his opposition to slavery i mean the turnout points out that his parents both were abolitionists so he came from a home which um set some some good foundations for him in terms of his political and moral outlook um and then i think at some point uh you know, it seemed that Grant realized that his, his arena, his, the place where he was going to flourish was in the military. And even with his drinking, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, he he just seemed to have a sense that, you know, business was not his calling. The book talks about his failures in business and perhaps he was always living under the shadow of his father who was actually fairly successful in business and his father-in-law who, who did pretty well. So, um, it sounds like part of it was him just coming to recognize that the place where he was going to flourish was in the military. And
0: that seems to be a theme of the, of the book, and Shernow says this out loud in his in his writing, is his, one of his goals is to rehabilitate the image of Grant. Because you know, even in the Civil War among, among generals, he kind of gets— uh, Minimized, I, I I think, and, and, and that's what Shranow says of of not being a great general. That he had superior numbers, he had all these advantages, and the you know the Southern generals are sort of decorated more in terms of their uh, you know strategy or, or whatever. But it definitely seems like from from the reading of this book that Grant just might have been listless, not caring about other areas of life, but just came to life on the battlefield. Yeah. That was like his calling I, he was I, just like in terms know. of strategy being able to know how all the different fronts of the war were coming together how to be aggressive i mean he was just in his element
1: yeah and i can't remember if if it was in the book or if i just in my own head That's just what i was thinking as i was reading it it was just he just needed a, a high drama environment it sounds like and uh uh-huh. you know manning the the tanning goods the, the the i think the dry goods store that right that, or the tannery We're it, studying, or studying studying
0: for tests at west point yeah it
1: just it just lacked any kind of deep drama or maybe a sense of history and again where did that come from and and you know um how do you how do you how do you find the the seeds of that greatness in his his family life his upbringing i think that's always difficult but um you know he uh there's a line, and in, in, uh, it makes me think of uh, George or- Orwell in his essay, Why I Write. He said something to the effect of um, he knew very young that he was he wanted to be a writer, and um, he said something to the effect of in his late teens, early 20s, he was kind of running away from that. Mm-hmm. And But at some point, he knew that um, sooner or later, he, he was going to have to just start writing, or uh, the phrase is he would be outraging his true nature. Mm-hmm. And so... Maybe there's a lesson in Grant's life how maybe all of us we might tend to to run away from something or calling or uh, you know an arena that we we feel like we could really flourish in. and eventually we, we have a choice to make either either we embrace that or we continue to search for some other way to do it
0: and it's kind of unclear whether Grant saw that in himself he was a famously taciturn person didn't talk about his feelings that much until the end of his life when he wrote out his, uh, his, his memoirs, but it seemed like other people saw greatness in him maybe before he saw it in himself. Yeah. What influence you think his, his his wife and his uh, mother-in-law saw some things in him that he didn't, maybe he didn't see in himself.
1: Yeah. There's a line, um, kind of the first part of the part of the book where, there's not a line but there's a there's a section where is talking about his wife julia and the role she played in his life and it's really moving one of, one of the, i think the the better parts of the book and or just just one of the more interesting parts and um basically she there there's a there's an anecdote related where uh, julia is talking to her sisters about ulysses and she says something to the effect of even though they're in dire financial straits at the time, and this is when when Grant is struggling as a, as a businessman, and I think they're newly married. And, and um, she says, but but they're not always gonna be you know in that financial distress because she had dreamed that one day he was gonna be president and, and basically felt that Ulysses was destined for greatness. And the line, one of the lines that Chernow says is um basically, you know, she had this power over her husband to, and never stopped believing in him and, and thought he was going to be great. So,
0: And that seemed to be her, her strength and presence in, in his life seemed to be not just encouragement, but kind of emotional, almost like an emotional rock. And that when he was away from her, it seemed like he was, he was lost. And, and by all accounts, he would, he was an alcoholic that had struggled with, with drinking his entire life. Didn't, didn't really conquer it until he became president, uh, according to this, uh, yeah, she story, was, but, but she was like, you know, made, she was aware of his drinking, made, made sure people were, were around him that kept watch over him. Um, yeah, and he, that he didn't feel as, as, as urgently need to to drink when he was with her. Yeah, she definitely
1: played that. So there was there was Julia, his wife, and then his trusted aide, oh. Rollins. <laughs> um, I forget his full name off the top of my head, but yeah, J- Julia comes across as somebody who um, knows the strengths of her husband, but also her, his weaknesses, and in this case, a, a major weakness: his temptation mm-hmm. to drink.
0: So yeah, that, that, another theme was how he. Um, his kind of circle of of support mm-hmm. was huge th- through keeping him stable, and, and it was almost like, okay, we got this guy who's like brilliant at this, but we all we all got to team up to make sure, you know, that he, yeah, he stays it's, focused it's and, and sober.
1: Because it's it's not just Julia, right? It's his it's some people around him other than his family, including I think it's Congressman Washburn, mm-hmm. who is sort of his guy in Washington. That's that's Grant's big advocate with Lincoln. When other people are saying. Grant is, Grant is uh, you know, he's not up for the task. He's drinking. He's unreliable. Whatever the criticism was, Washburn, who I believe was an Illinois congressman, was kind of behind the scenes saying, you, you just got to believe in this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really, a, um, I, th- I think, to, to get back this idea, I, I think it, it goes to show that, you know, in successful lives and careers, um, even even these historically great lives, you know, it, it's, I think, very rarely the case, if ever, where people do it all on their own. You know, I think a message I get from this book is when we, you know, encourage other people, friends, family members, to, to do something or, or to pursue something, our, our words are not, they're not mere words of encouragement. They can become kind of instruments of of creation, if you will. That sounds yeah. very exalted. But but the idea is, I think, that we're not just spectators commenting on a process that is going to unfold naturally and in, and inevitably we in fact by by showing faith in somebody by showing encouragement can actually help them achieve exactly what they what they might not believe they could actually do so and
0: and and lincoln saw that in him too the reason he was able to be the the overall general in the first place cuz lincoln saw something in him maybe maybe lincoln saw something in in grant that he saw in himself maybe that you know he had all these decorated Generals that sure. just weren't that just weren't doing the job, and uh, so he he sees something in Grant um, from from the battlefield, and even though people were trying to always attack Grant with with his rumors of drinking and 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 trying to cut him down that way, Lincoln was just like he saw what he could do, and just this is my guy, and they became very very trusted confidants, uh, not only in in the fighting and the strategy, but also in the politics. Uh, of of the war as well,
1: yeah. There's no doubt Lincoln. Prob- well, I should say no doubt. I'm, I'm not <laughs> historian, but it seems that there's a good argument to be made that Lincoln looked at Grant, maybe both coming from humble roots. I think Lincoln, even even more so, you know, even more poverty than and Grant really wasn't poor, but neither one of them came from necessarily these like the elite. They the weren't the elite, elite. elite class, mm-hmm. um, and then. A characteristic I think they both shared was, I think, a deep sense of honor and integrity. I think right. Lincoln had this extraordinary ability to to both demonstrate conviction and and a kind of passion and ambition, uh, but did so in a way that um, kept others uh, feeling like their integrity was in place. And he wasn't out to humiliate people. Right. And Grant was the same way, I think. There, there are so many incidents in the book where instead of humiliating his defeated foes right. or, or creating maybe, you know, unnecessary lifelong enemies, yeah. he finds a way to both achieve the objective as a general and on behalf of the North, and yet also make sure that the the, the Southern um, soldiers or, or their, their Southern generals res- respect yeah. the fact of— of who he is. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: To me, two things were different about Grant from, from a general perspective. One was just his aggression and his willingness to chase, you know, just pin, just pin down the enemy. No mercy. I mean, he would just keep going. um, Understood the, the whole strategy, the theaters of the war was able to direct it all in concert, not just on how to win this one particular battle and the second area was the political dynamics and that he him and Lincoln were just on the same page with hey this is not just about crushing the south and and punishing them for for rebelling this is about uniting the country right. and what does that mean it means slavery has to be over and and and, and the slaves have to be enfranchised not just free but enfranchised sure. and so and so so many turns when grant could have been punitive could have been humiliating the south he was very generous, and he integrated um, freed slaves into his army as quickly as possible. And the line that sticks out for me is he—he he knew that, hey, if if these are veterans, if these if these are people that have fought for the country, they're going to be so much more likely to be, you know, granted the full enfranchisement, voting rights, sure. uh, equal rights. And to have that awareness in you know in that time period was something that not everyone had, um, and able to you know prosecute the war as well as the politics of that uh, was enormous to to the overall victory. Yeah,
1: I think it's a, that's a great point, and I and I want to come back to it, but but something you said raises a question for me that that uh, um you know love to hear your thoughts on all all these other generals that had preceded him um There is a theme that emerges, which is they they just struggled to achieve what Lincoln wanted, uh-huh. and they just weren't getting it done. And some of them were highly decorated, and uh, in the sense of their their educational background and their reputation. So, what do, what do you think? I mean, I got my own thoughts on this, but what what do you think separated Grant and 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 led him to be as aggressive as Lincoln needed, and what what was causing the hesitation or? A, the the tentativeness among
0: these other generals. I think he just had a, a, he was just an aggressive dude. I don't know. Uh, He just had no, no fear. They, they talked about him just, you know, there's like battle going all around him, like bullets flying around, cannon smashing next to him. He just doesn't even blink. Yeah. And then he just like fights these wars and then just like goes right to sleep on the ground. And, He just had, he just had no fear. So I think maybe, you know, you know, Lincoln, I think understood what, what strategy, what aggressive strategy would work. Maybe the other generals did too. They just weren't willing to, to do it. Um, I think he was just like, not only did he know how to win, but he would, he would do it. It it makes me think too, to,
1: to what extent is,
0: is there hesitation
1: because you're fighting your own country and, you know, and, and maybe, you know, like in Grant's own situation, his, his in-laws were known as being very pro slavery mm-hmm. and owned slaves uh, Julia's parents and then Grant's family and his parents were very anti slavery so if you take that dynamic and imagine it playing a, a part you know playing across the country how yeah. many of those generals just couldn't stomach the idea yeah. of going to war against their own...
0: and, And he understood the human nature, I think, of the South, is that they were going to try to cling on to the institution of slavery at all costs, and that if the war was to be over with the truce in which they were to keep the slaves. I think probably maybe some of the Northern generals thought that, okay, we could end this war, sure. but not end slavery as an institution. Right. I think Grant knew that not only was that necessary to, to unite the country, but that the South was not going to do that, except if they were absolutely forced to. Right. So his idea was like, we need to not only, you know, win and sign a treaty. We need to have unconditional surrender in which we have unconditionally won under our terms. and, you know, kind of maybe transitioning into the end of the war, into the more Reconstruction era. But one thing that I I didn't know uh, in very much detail that was interesting to me was the the fear of a prolonged guerrilla warfare. Right. In the aftermath of the war, so he was so concerned with um, even if even if the South was to. Concede defeat, that there would still exist, uh, you know, guerrilla warfare, and a bunch of people who wouldn't accept the outcome of the war to prolong the violence, and he was very firm on like we got to pin these guys down, we got to make them surrender, completely. Yeah. And so that doesn't happen. Th- that's a,
1: a theme that emerges with that is this th- this idea that th- the war could quote be you know officially over, but yet you still have these these sort of you mm-hmm. know mercenary groups around the south trying to just create mayhem Uh uh, and, and unsettle the peace and uh, incite, you know, fear in the heart of, you know, um, freed slaves. And uh, I think it's just one of those things reading it today and, reading about how, you know, these towns, there'd be these massacres in the South um, that, that wouldn't go prosecuted. And there was no justice Uh for uh, blacks and, and, then looking back on it now, where you know you just feel like you're, no matter what state you're in, your you're, things are relatively, you know, stable and, right. and the laws are enforced. You know, uh, as a general matter, and and it doesn't matter who you are. It just seems, and, and even that has its own, you know, qualifications. Yeah. You know, and, and can be controversial. But back then, you know, after the Civil War, it, there, there's this image of true lawlessness that comes out right. is. Is just stunning,
0: and then and then with Andrew with uh, not Andrew Jackson, uh, Andrew Johnson Johnson becoming president after Lincoln was assassinated. I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was a southern, he was sympathetic to the southern cause, and so there was, and so you had the situation where General Grant is still a general, and is still a you know a a northern Republican. abolitionist, but then you have a president now who's sympathetic to the South. And it was a real danger. Sure. There, there was, there was a real risk of, um, you know, Grant having to make a decision to, to do, to, you know, if they were concerned that Andrew Johnson might try to shut down the Congress, like literally shut down the Congress. So there was like this real fear, even, you know, 10, 20, even when, uh, Grant became president 20 years after the after the war, um, or 15 years after the war, there was fear of, you know, the collapse of the Republic. Right. <laughs> so that, uh, and, and I think what, one of the biggest things that emerged for me about the book about Grant was stepping up and, and his leadership time and time again, even into his presidency of everyone in the country turning to him as you're going to be the, the leader to hold this whole thing together and make sure that the Republic survives. Yeah. It's it very easily could have not.
1: Right. It's interesting how it, it, it seemed as if his election to the presidency was just this assumption, this foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. He won the war. You know, he, he was the big general who saved the day and, and he, he's the one who accepted Robert E. Lee's surrender. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and so he, he was just kind of ushered in as the president, like he, without him, without his guiding hand, who, mm-hmm forget about the fact that he's never run for office or has no political experience. Yeah. Political experience, as, as we would sort of think about it in terms of holding office, he certainly had experience right. in politics. but, um, And I think one of the things that, that all this brings up is this, the, the need as, as somebody in that position to, to to deal with the complexities and difficulties of human nature. Right? Right. I think that comes across in, in the difficulties of politics. When you talk about how... You know, as president there was there's a there's one point where he's he's debating whether uh, to send federal troops down into the south to, um, to basically enforce the laws and and to bring justice um, and and there, but there's all this concern about what that looks like you know the, quote unquote the optics you know the federal government coming back into the south and are you gonna alienate people and and I mean it just it's a reminder that there so many times in politics there's just there, there's just no Obvious or easy way out. You're faced with a lot of very difficult choices. Yeah, it, almost like you know, basically a bunch of bad options. Which is the you know the least bad. Yeah, I mean, that,
0: and he's but he seemed to have pretty clear. I mean, in other in other areas of politics in his presidency, mm-hmm. he had a lot of a lot of missteps and things he didn't closely sure. manage or things he overlooked and and political mistakes he made but it seemed like when it came to the question of the South and when and where to use military force, it seemed like he was very clear in his in his convictions and, you know, waits until it's absolutely necessary constitutionally to enforce the law. That didn't, that didn't just say, you know, let's, let's just have a, you know, a, a, a military state for an extended period of time, no matter what. It's there at first, right. Uh, in order to make sure that you know the, the the reconstructive laws get taken place, eventually lets up, and then that's when you see sort of the rise of the KKK and 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 the and the sort of the you know the, the terrorism and the, and the fear to keep black yeah. people from from voting and taking office, and then when it's like okay in this certain in this certain state in this certain situation, it's time for to send in the troops and make sure that. You know these these new amendments and the and the new law gets followed, and he seemed to have a really and that's like sort of his military instinct kicking in of like this is necessary for the for the right. republic. This is legal what I'm doing right. in my in my executive authority, and that's what I'm going to do at this time, and this is the right thing to do. And he didn't yeah, either he might he have also, wavered or questioned other things. He never really questioned his own yeah. convictions on when it came to those things.
1: Yeah, and and I think it's worth pointing out in this theme of. Well, it kind of takes a team. Um, he, I forget all the names off the top of my head, but he—I he, think he had some pretty capable people in his government, his cabinet. Um, some of the some of the U.S. attorneys that were that were uh, basically charged with or, or tasked, by a better mm-hmm. way, saying it with enforcing the laws or bringing prosecutions. I think he I think he had some good people too, and yeah. Um, uh, so it it was. Uh, a reminder that a fraught situation he himself couldn't do it alone and that wasn't necessarily one of his great strengths uh, as the book kind of talks about he, he wasn't sometimes the best judge of character right. and he himself his honesty was never really called into doubt but he let himself be duped at times by and internal really kind of hits him hard on that
0: yeah um, he seemed but, to be very naive with trusting distrusting people and yeah. at the end you know Kind of skipping ahead to the end of his life, he's uh spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got uh you know uh his inheritance that he or his his wealth that he's built pretty much he's trust Swindled his, massively. Trust yeah. this guy he doesn't even know really yeah. to manage all of his stuff. And this guy was a almost like a psychopath in terms of yeah. manipulation and 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 stealing all his money. But the fact that even, even after he has his trust broken several times by people that were close to him in politics. He was still uh, so, so quick to trust this, this random dude with all of his money. Uh, Well, it just goes to show,
1: you know, that no matter how historically impactful you can be as a person and, and however great some of your achievements are, like someone like Grant, like we all are still a human being and there's still flaws, imperfections, shortcomings, and Chernow doesn't hide those. I mean, um, he he wasn't perfect. And w- what it was surprising to me is how how often it happened to him, where mm-hmm. he just kind of seemed to uh, have this trust in in people. Um,
0: and that's probably which can be a good thing. But yeah, but
1: his, his sort of that 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 innate detector that says this this person might be trying to take advantage of me. He just seemed to not have that as strong as so many other people.
0: And that's probably contributed to his perception historically that he was sort of bumbling and, and a failure and in, in everything, including the presidency, except for being a great, you know, military guy. And even that's kind of questioned. So I think maybe that, that, you know, the the way certain scandals went down in his presidency towards the end of his presidency and the fact that he got swindled later in life perhaps leads to that negative perception that Shernow is... Trying to rehabilitate, yeah. Um, and then there's a there's an interesting uh, reunion towards the end of his life with with Mark Twain. You want to talk about that?
1: Just it was surprising. I didn't know that. Twain. It, the the kind of the context is Grant is has cancer, and it's it's clearly that it's it's clear that it's significant. It's advancing and he's worried about his, about dying without any money for his wife and family, which is kind of astonishing to think about. You know, nowadays presidents, you know, former presidents Uh command six figures for a speech. But back then it, you know, I think that the idea was it wasn't, um, it just was unseemly for a president to do that. Um, So he's, he's decides to write his memoirs and uh, there's a publisher, I forget the name of the first publisher, but there's a publisher that comes to him and 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 again ends up proposing these financial terms that Grant initially accepts, but Mark Twain finds out about this and is I, I think it's fair to say appalled that mm-hmm. that he's going to do this, and eventually Twain ends up convincing Grant to publish these memoirs with with a, a publishing company that Twain and I think a relative have, have set up much favorable much more favorable terms and um they they power through it and one of the things that's you know really profound about that is twain was very complimentary of grant's prose his writing right. and that that's something that you know um comes out in the book as one of the one of the Big achievements of Grant that he's he's dying. He's in extraordinary pain. There's a there's a huge mass in his throat, big lump that he's covering. Mm-hmm. He can't really swallow or eat without you know extraordinary pain, and yet he powers through. You know his memoirs. Um, it, it's sort of one final battle he's he's won, yeah. along with overcoming you know the his alcoholism. Yeah. And not necessarily overcoming it per se, but basically. It, Refusing to to let it dominate his life, right? Um, yeah, and so it's and, a big theme of perseverance, right? De- I mean, definitely. I definitely. mean, uh, you know, we think about the things that can that can lay us up or uh, keep us maybe down or, or feeling dejected, and then you look at Grant. Um, not to say that he didn't, but he just. He just seemed to just always, it sounds so cliche, but when, when he was knocked down, he just got back up.
0: Yeah. Metaphorically, literally. And, even, and, and just one more thing about his, his memoirs I thought was interesting was his first drafts were very dry, and he was just laying out the details of the military battles. But he sat down, I don't think it was Twain, I think it was the first publisher he was working with, but kind of coached him out of, because he was famously really good at regaling you with stories and he'd be telling stories and verbally, but when he was writing was very dry at first and just with a little bit of coaching, he sort of realized, you know, what, what great prose would be. And that's when I think Mark Twain figured that up. So that to me, that's like, you know, you're, you're basically in your deathbed writing out your memoirs as your life, you know, as your livelihood, your family depends on it. And you're able to have this like coachability almost of, of learning and, and going with it. And then producing, you know, some some phenomenal prose sure. telling the story of, of his life.
1: And and it, again, that that's not a memoir that's without apparently some shortcomings. Right. <laughs> I think there's some some things that he kind of skips over and mm-hmm. that, that Chernow kind of finds, you know, maybe kind of imply that he, he probably could have or should have addressed that. But yeah, it's but, I mean it's it, it speaks stunning... to the kind
0: of the, the emotional, you know, the just the emotional complications, but um the enduring sort of, you know, virtue of, of, of the characteristics allowed him to, to be so, you know, impactful and successful leader.
1: There's, um, if you recall earlier in the book when he's after his first stint in the military, which we haven't really talked about, but you know, he, he had a pretty good run with his first after West point, you know, he's in, um, he's in battle um, down in Mexico and ends up in the Bay area. Anyway, he, so he leaves all that and then he goes to St. Louis. He's, Living with his, you know, wife and and um, her family, and they, they end up I think going a couple different places. Mm-hmm. But Churnow talks about how he was sad, depressed, you know, really, really kind of just in a, in a deep state of dejection, and that made me think a lot of Abraham Lincoln also. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think a theme that comes out about Abraham Lincoln's life was particularly in a book called Lincoln's Melancholy, Mm -hmm. um, was the idea that Lincoln was able to access just certain depths of emotion and thought, which wasn't uh, a sign of of weakness, but actually a sign of strength. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's a whole nother subject, but, you know, for Grant to be able to kind of weather some of those difficult days where, where he might have easily had got to a point where he said, okay, I, I'm just not good at business. Therefore, I'm not going to be good at anything. Right. I'm just going to live on my father-in-law's property and, and just kind of ride out my life. He, he was able, uh, and I, so I think he was able to sort of tap into something deep within him and say like, okay, this is not this is not the, the narrative of my life. The only story I'm going to, I'm going to craft a new narrative. And so there was this real, uh, I think, sense in which you know, when he later on in life, you know, when he's when he's going through these horrible battles, walking walking across, you know, the carnage of the Civil War, he's able to to both um, grapple with that as a human without it letting it destroy him because no. he has this emotional range and depth where he realizes, like I think Lincoln did, that if if he isn't strong, then then nobody's going to be strong, yeah. and so somebody has to keep it together during. Yeah. That. So that was a long reflection, but no, that was cool. I
0: think uh, one of my favorite stories, or just, a, just I thought brought out a different element to him was there was a period in the in the Civil War where he's a general and he's almost like has, has his opponent pinned down and they're almost just waiting for their supplies to run out and there he's got other. Uh, other fronts that are, that are going behind the enemy to sort of cut off their supply lines. They're basically in a waiting game and as troops get restless and they come up with this idea of like, Hey, you know, everyone's pinned down. Everyone's, um, you know, basically just, just waiting. They say, what, what if we just dig a huge tunnel underneath this uh, underneath the lines and, and blow them up from the, from the bottom. And Grant was like thinking to himself, this is a stupid idea. But he's like, my guys are are restless. Why not? Like, who cares? And kind of just like letting letting them almost like play, exercise. And they ended up, end of the story is they they spent about a month digging this trench, setting up this explosive. It explodes. They charge in. They don't do it right. They end up, you know, a bunch of people die and it, and it fails. But it just, I think, shows his, uh, his willingness uh, to be open to you know, the, the initiative of of his people to, to understand the human nature of, of war and um Yeah, I think
1: one of the the ways that it's described in the book is um he was always on the move and he, he had the right, sense that right. you can't have these these soldiers can't just sit for long periods of time and mm-hmm. for all sorts of reasons, you know, and, and it's just against the nature of, of being a soldier in war. And I think
0: that taps into, you know, just the you know, the depth of his, of his emotion, the human connection, and to have that, uh, to have those elements, those personality qualities, combined with his sort of military, you know, warrior mentality, um, and, and his and his respect for the Constitution, his his belief in in uh, the unity of, of the American project, of the Republic, to me, having that person at that time, you know, was just... Uh, instrumental to you know the unity that sure that, the, the broken the you know not obviously not perfect but uh you know keeping what, what could have been a, a failed project of democracy during that time um, allowing that to emerge and something you
1: said makes me think of something but probably impossible to ignore is just the savagery of, right. of war and and what happened on the battlefield i you know, some of these scenes that, that are described, just the, the carnage, the, the suffering. And I, you know, both during the Civil War and then in the construction to African-American families, what they went through. And I just have, sometimes I have these moments where I was reading the book, you know, it'd be like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. I just have to pause and, and just sort of think about sort of the extent to which, um, you know, suffering and, and tragedy has, has been borne by people to, you know, to get to the point where we are now. Yeah.
0: And so even, I mean, even though we're still very divided, uh, equality was not uh, was not achieved uh, in, in its fullness. Um, you know, we have segregation lasting for another hundred years after the Civil War. Um, you know, there's still racial strife. There's still uh, problems and divisions and, and all that. But I think, um, there's a lot to learn for us today just about those qualities and the, and that leadership and, and the, um, just the, amidst all that chaos and tragedy and, and violence, um, you know, the virtues did seem to rise to the surface when it mattered. Yeah. Well, next time maybe we'll hit Hamilton. or Maybe a <laughs> part two on Grant. Part two I perhaps. Like, yeah, uh, we just got started. Well, uh, We'll just finish with a shout-out to all the veterans out there on Veterans Day. We thank you for your service to our country.
1: Yeah, and a special shout-out to my dad. Uh, He uh, he served in the Air Force, so thank you, Dad.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you have any feedback, you can contact me at robpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at billyrob 33 This has been the Political Notebook Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any other podcasting app. Thank you.